Welcome back to the School of Calisthenics. We are back. It is Tim and Jacko. And this week, we've rolled out a big gun. It's Mr. Brian Keane joining us for a little bit of a chinwag. The deadly, to be sure, our Irish friend, deadly Brian Keane. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was, that's my best Irish accent. I'm, I'm actually just going to leave that there for the people and they can make up their own minds. I'm not sure that. that's the right part of Ireland or not, but that's the only Irish accent I've got. Just <laughs> <laughs> but with Brian, he's cracky. Talk about redefining impossible. He has done some crazy things recently. Um, we delve into what it's like running ultramarathons through the Sahara Desert, running and, and snapping your Achilles tendon and running, what did he say, 87 yeah, still yeah, kilometres? six, yeah. Um, in the Arctic. Um, and even discuss how I am an awkward hugger and everything in between. Yeah, on top of that, there's actually some really amazing um, advice because Brian sort of mm. covers a large spectrum across the fitness industry with his audience. Um, and he really gives some amazing practical suggestions and tips and advice on how to actually get started make change adhere to programs there's some real like nuts and bolts in this as well as some inspirational content from him around actually just get signed up to something and go out there and make yourself uncomfortable and he's even actually you'll find out he's stolen our catchphrase which <laughs> as soon as we finish recording this it's we're going to go on um, patent lawyers will be yeah um, but yeah, no, we could get it. What was one thing that's nice is that, yeah. <laughs> one thing that's one thing that's really nice that comes out of this is it's it's a mixture and blend of both the physical and the mental, yeah. the training side of things and the mindset, which you know as go hand in hand, which is something that we are trying to push. And it was nice um, to to have that positive influx also added in from um, Brian. So sit back, relax, enjoy Brian Keane on the School of Calisthenics podcast. So Brian, welcome to the podcast, first and foremost. Man, I'm so excited for this. Like we haven't caught up in so long. <laughs> like I was literally chatting to you over like videos and stuff on Instagram. I'm like, we need to catch up properly. Now's the time. And we, we can... need to arrange for you to come to, we've been talking about you coming over uh, to the mainland and uh, coming and doing a session with us. So we'll, we'll get that it's one. top of my well. list. When I but, get to um, the UK, it's literally top of my list. So like as soon as, if you see me boarding well, a plane to the UK and I'm not coming, like I'm, I've gone to a funeral or I'm gone to something crazy that like I, I really don't want to go to. So <laughs> you're, you're top of that list. Well, the, the last time... The last time we spoke, there was we'll come on to this later on because we want to talk about it, but you did go above the Arctic Circle and we were worried that if you were to lose your fingers to frostbite, then that might hamper your human flag ability. But looking at you now, I can see that you've still got you five fingers each. All your fingers and toes. Perfect. So we're still on for the human 100%. flag action. I was like, that was, that was literally my motivation in the Arctic. I'm like, I can't lose my fingers because I need to learn how to do a human flag. So that's what got me back with them. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, we just want to kick things off uh, Brian you obviously kindly had us on um, your podcast after we we met at the at Twickenham with um, and through the mutual friend of the legend that is Ross Edgeley but um, could you just give uh, our listeners just a little bit of a background to yourself I know when we spoke there you'd uh, we, we talked a little bit about how you'd um, transition from from the school teacher into what you're doing now and you know I've got a history of only one year of it, but um, also being a school teacher, so I, I could share that sentiment. Um, just give us a bit, yeah, a bit of a whirlwind tour as to where things started for you, and then why did you want to move from being being teaching into uh, you know what you're doing from a, what you're doing now, as in running your own business and into fitness compared to you know being an employee of a of a school. So- 
Oh man, when I think of my teaching days, I remember chatting to you and talking <laughs> about this and I'm like, man, that takes me right back. Um, that's what I did. That was my quote unquote real job. When I, I went to university, I actually did my undergraduate degree in business studies and then I did my postgraduate in St. Mary's University in Twickenham um, or in um, Strawberry Hill, but beside Twickenham in primary school teaching. And then I worked as a primary school teacher for four years. Um, but it was one of those jobs that I was very aware every, fr- I, and I loved teaching. Don't get me wrong. I loved working with the kids, particularly the older kids. But I, every Friday I knew it was the weekend and every Sunday I knew I was going back to work on Monday. And I didn't like that feeling because I'm like, this is happening every week. I'm like, Friday, I'd be like euphoric. And I'm like, yes, I'm like, it's the weekend. And then I'd go out boozing for the weekend <laughs> and I'd be like super hungover on Sunday. I'm like, oh, fuck, I got to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> but it, that happened for about 18 months. And I, I, it felt really unfulfilling for the lack of a better term. I just, it just felt like there was no meaning in what I was doing. As much as there's meaning in teaching... I felt like there was more for me to offer. And long, to cut a real long story short, I came home on Christmas and I remember sitting at home talking to my mum and she was asking me a famous question that I've asked a million times on my podcast, you know, to myself and to my audience is like, what would you do for free? And I'm like, well, I would work in fitness for free. I'm like, that's the quote unquote non-job. I was like, that's the thing that I would love to do and wouldn't believe I could get paid to do it. Um, So my mom was like, yeah, you should go try that. You know, I was like 24, 25. And she was like, yeah, you should go try that. So I went and became a fitness instructor. Then went on and got my personal training certificate. Then went on into strength and conditioning and into sports nutrition. Um, And over the last seven years, nearly eight years now, um, I've been working from everything from a one-to-one personal trainer, running classes in London, then back to the west of Ireland where I'm from, to working primarily now in the online capacity with different things like, you know, the books that I write. I've got two books. The first one was a bestseller. Podcasts that I do, um, talking with awesome people like you, like the day we were on. I was like, I can't believe this is my job. I'm like, I'm just chatting here to the two lads. I'm like, this is amazing. Um, And kind of right up forward to where I am now, it's just... I'm in one of those very fortunate positions where I do coach people in programs online. But to be honest, I just document a lot of my life and a lot of the cool things that I get to do. Um, and I kind of get paid for it now, which is one of those things that you, I pinch myself in the morning going, I can't believe this is my life. Um, but that's kind of the, the really short synopsis of primary school teacher to doing what I'm doing now, which is, you know, just training, working with people, living a fitness lifestyle, speaking, writing, podcasting, um, and just doing all the things that I would do for free. How long have you been doing your podcast for, Brian? Just out of interest. Um, the end of 2016. Uh, 2016, yeah. The, the end of, yeah, about three years. It's about 225 yeah. episodes. 228 episodes, I think, was 228 yesterday. Um, 228 episodes in. Strong um, yeah. podcast. Well, how long? You, how, when did you start yours? Yeah, one. We're into, oh, I don't know, this is going to be maybe like... This is 80-something. 80 80, I'm yeah, taking a guess I'm now. On years. Bit, I've been this is 80-something, 80 80 like, 86, 87, 88. When did you start? Uh, Do you know what? Since we started, most of the timeline for me is completely blurred into one. Like, I've lost track of when we... You know what I mean? It's like when you just, you're kind of you're doing quite a lot of stuff. I don't know, we've done a lot, we make a lot of content, and I can't think, we must have been over a year. Yeah, no, it'd be definitely like, over a year. Um... Two must be coming from two years. We, we haven't a, done one every. We didn't do. We didn't used to do one every single week. Though, no, did we? no. But um, uh, yeah, no. What one of the things that uh, 
people that haven't met Brian or, or, or seen him on social media, whether they've met him in real life or, or over the internet, go and check, go, go and if you get the chance to meet him, he's one of these people that, that just as soon as you, as soon as you meet, I remember like you greet us, but like when we seen you at Twickenham, like we've never met you before. We don't really know you. You greet us like long lost brother and <laughs> just have so much energy and, and sort of positivity that it's infectious. Like it's, uh, it's, it's a bit like with, uh, when we met Ross edgy for the first time, similar type of personality that just, um, you give off a lot of energy and like it's reciprocate, you feel it. Um, and I think that's one of the, it's one of the things that's just, it's, I wish I could be more and like it's not my personality type to be super like that. Um, but it's awesome when we meet people that are like that. And I guess the other thing I wanted to sort of just highlight was that when you say, um, as you did just then, because I've heard you say it a number of times now that and it, it just it is genuine. I wondered whether the first time it was whether how genuine it was, you'd be like I just love my life. I've got the best job in the world. I can't believe it. I pinch myself every day. You, you've you've said that a number of times now, like whenever we've spoken to us. And does that, like, and it's sincere, I can tell. And does, that's just an amazing place to be in. And I think there's not, you're, you're being a very small percentage of people in the entire universe, probably that like have that. Do you think that has come, do you think if you'd have had a job that you didn't, not that you said you didn't hate, you, you know, you didn't hate, you loved like teaching, but it just, the 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 headspace you're in on sort of like a Friday night compared and compared to a Sunday evening. If you hadn't have had that and that sort of insight into the other side of things, like do you think you wouldn't have that perspective, or are you just one of those guys that just get up in the morning, you're just super pumped, even if you were just like cleaning bins or whatever? Is that is that your personality type? Um, no, that it's so funny you say that because it's not. Mine is very much down to having a contrast point from how I was previously. Um, and the kind of the gratitude that comes from remembering what it was like to not feel this way. Um, I, I won't say I'm not doom and gloom by like nature. Like even when I was teaching and I hated my first teaching job and I quite liked the jobs I got after that. But I wasn't jumping out being like, I love life. Cause I'm like, yeah, yeah, life's okay. Like, I'm like, it's okay. Um, you know, but now it's a case of having that contrast point where I've worked jobs, like I've worked jobs I fucking hated. You know, I used to clean dishes in a hotel like before I was teaching and did all these crappy jobs that I'm like, oh, for minimum wage. You know, I remember (laughs) working as a teacher, you know, I went broke a couple of times trying to get my business off the ground when I was still working as a teacher because working in London, London rents and London cost with London teacher pay, it doesn't really map to putting much money in the bank or saving. So when I get, to make the living I make now impacting and doing the things I get to do. I'm like, I cannot believe this is my job. Like, but it comes from that contrast. It comes from, you know, I, I love that. This is such a fucking sadistic quote, but I love the Carl Jung quote, the, you know, your branches can't reach <laughs> heaven unless your roots go down to hell. And that's kind of how I think of like the job. I'm like, you can't love what you do unless once upon a time you hated it. And then it's just a constant like negative visualization process where you're like, okay, you know, if you think you need to keep striving for more and more and more and more, think about you would have given your left arm to have everything you have now five years ago. It's like, be grateful for what you have and live in that moment. Um, That's something I have to kind of guard against because my default wouldn't be to do that. Um, But I'm just, again, as I said, very grateful for that opportunity that I have now and all the opportunities I get but it comes down from the contrast. So if anyone's going through a shit time in their training program, in their life, in their relationship, in their job, I'm like, no, no, 
all the seeds of failure are the plants to trees for future success. Like you can use that. That's going to be feedback going forward. Even though you might not be able to see it right now, anything that's bad right now that you're not enjoying is eventually going to be a contrast point going forward for how you can improve, you know, how to improve your life in general. Um, so yeah, that's something I come back to regularly. So I'm glad you said that because like, I sound like such a twat sometimes when you're like, I love my life. It's like, shut the yeah, fuck yeah. up, man. Like, you know. No, not at all. You know, it, it's coming it. from a place. <laughs> we were like, Tim was like, yeah, yeah, we were, Tim, we, Tim's like, yeah, twat. We were like, um, <laughs> after, after we made, we were like, do, do you reckon, do, do you really love his life that much? Like, yeah. well, well, there's it. a couple of things for me to pick up on that. Like, the, I'm going to get the first one out now because it's important. And if I forget it, if I start rambling on about what my secondary point is, um, but the, the key thing, I love what you said there, Brian, because there's so many times where you want to give up when it's nasty. Like I've been there. I look back at my career. And like you, you struck a chord with me when you said, "What would you do for free?" And back in the day before I started my career, I've been like, "Yeah, I'd do strength and conditioning for free," and I still would do now. I still do what I do now for free if I didn't need to pay the mortgage and and all that sort of stuff. Obviously, there's that side of it. But there's an interesting thing that then when you actually do do that work for free, that's a bit of a gateway into a lot of things that you want to do. You've got to do something for free and that can get difficult or you find yourself doing a job which is laying the foundations for where you want to go, which can be pretty soul destroying at times. Like I got into places before where I was just like, this is not what I signed up for. But had I not done that and not stuck at it and made and and persevered, we, we you don't actually you don't get to do that point of actually getting to where you want to go. So I think that's a really key point. And this, like you say, it's the same with your career, same with training. There's parts of work we've got to do in the gym which are just dull. They're boring and they're not the best thing. And especially in calisthenics when we talk about building basic strength, a lot of people don't want to do the work that it takes to get super strong to go and like literally go and manipulate your body in in the ways that we try to. So I think that's a really important point. And the last one, next one is slightly more lighthearted. I'm going to ask you a question: Is Jacko when I first met him and it probably took two or three years to break him down he's a really awkward <laughs> hugger so when he meets someone like you who is a confident hugger and I, I like a hug and I'm still relatively on the awful. I'm better he would, be, he would literally from where, like, I used, from where I used to be I've made great great leaps <laughs> forward but you, it's still an awkward thing for me you want to see me and my dad hug that is like amazingly you go for a hug and at the, at the last minute which is the most inappropriate he would try and sneak a hand up in between <laughs> you to try and shake it so you're now trying you're, you, you personally have gone for the hug but all of a sudden there's this thing in the way which is like so then you don't know what to do so the fact that he feels like he wants to hug you that's that's a big yeah. step for you yeah, yeah. Doing well. <laughs> right question time <laughs> um, one thing we wanted to talk to you about Brian was around like the fitness industry and one thing that I love about what you do is you you literally cover everything you, you do your sort of daily 10 questions on Instagram and you'll literally cover everything from one about sexual performance in bed that I saw was a, a topic that you've spoken about recently through to training through to mindset like how how is it for you sort of being in, in the fitness industry and being like having that such a wide area of, of sort of potential influence and being connected with people where we go right talk to us about bodyweight training you're almost at the opposite end of the spectrum of going talk to me about anything how does that kind of how do you manage that and how do you feel about where that places you and what the fitness industry is like in that sort um, of space to be honest i don't think about it that much because even though it seems like a wide angle of things that i cover I still very much stay within my circle of competence, um, you know, because I've been asked uh, so many times I send people over to your story and over to your page. When someone will ask me about something advanced in calisthenics, I'm like, oh, go follow the lads. I'm like, you know, they have all the content there that you need. So even though sometimes 
it seems like I'm covering everything. A lot of it is just I have a small bit of knowledge on certain areas, but I know the people who I can send out to, you know, go follow you for calisthenic advice, you know, either of you on, on your page because of all the content you put out. So I, I never really think about it too much because I only answer questions that I know the answer to and I'm only offering opinions. Like I'm the first one to say I'm not a sexual performance counsellor, I'm not a relationship expert, but here's my opinion. You know, there are certain things that I would consider myself quite schooled in, you know, nutrition, sports nutrition, training, anything along those lines. I'm like, yeah, I, I can offer that. Mindset, you know, some of the the physical challenges I've put myself through has developed my mindset, but all I'm really doing is sharing an opinion and a perspective of what I think may support the person that's asked, asked the question. Um, and I also think that this is what I love about what you do. You're constantly, like, you guys pump out so much amazing content, like between YouTube and Instagram and the podcast and stories. I'm like, you have knowledge in your head and it's like, how can we serve? How can we help people? Like, and I think that's why I connected. Like, as we joked about, you know, hugging Jacko earlier, but I'm like, I felt like I knew you boys when I met you I'm like I've been following your stuff for ages even though I don't do as much calisthenic stuff obviously as you do I've been following your stuff and I'm like the lads are just trying to make the world a little bit better and help people and I connect with that message and that's what I try and do on my platforms it just might be you know an erection tip as opposed to like a body lever We'd like to interrupt this broadcast today to bring you a customer service announcement and we want to tell you how excited we are about the virtual classroom where our online community of amazing people are working together to redefine their impossible and achieve things in calisthenics that they never thought they would be able to, Jacko. Yeah, if you've not thought about it yet, you should really consider uh, becoming a member of the virtual classroom. You become part of that supportive community and you then get access to absolutely every single training program we've got, every workout we do, every challenge, every webinar, and there is specific courses in there for everything from beginners to, to handstands and human flags and everything in between you get access to all of it you get to learn at your own pace online with us within the supportive community of people encouraging each other to redefine their impossible guys it's really something special we would love it if you come and check it out and until you do check it out and we see you in there let's get back to our regularly scheduled program so what are you sort of seeing at the moment, Brian, in terms of like, because you, you have a fairly sort of wide audience in terms of what people want to know about, what are the, what are the sort of key trends that we're going through as, as in a fitness industry for those involved in fitness? Because one of the things that we wanted to talk to you a little bit around was later on, and we're going to sort of touch on this, but um, the common things that people are getting mis- getting confused with, misconceptions, um, yeah, what's the yeah, general conversation any- in the fitness industry like at the moment? Um. To be honest, I'm not the best consumer of general fitness stuff. Like, because a lot of it is, um, I don't have a strong enough opinion on anything health-related, fitness-related, training-related, where I'm like, this is the answer. I'm like, there's a million ways to get in shape. There's, you, know, you can do strength and conditioning, you can do body weight exercises, you can do weight training, you can do HIIT workouts, you can go running. There's a million ways to get in shape. There's a million diets that work. You can try a keto diet, you can try an intermittent fast, you can try clean eating, you can try flexible dieting, and there's loads of different approaches. And what happens, and one of the things that used to, I won't say irritates, because irritates a strong word, but one of the things that I was misaligned with with a lot of the fitness industry is when people hammer home this is the only way to do something I'm like there's lots of different ways to get in shape there's lots of different ways to eat and and it's about experimenting see what works you know one of the things I love and I see this coming back from um, you know testimonies from you and people who are 
following calisthenic programs and going to your courses where they're like, yeah, I was doing X training, but this is actually working way better for me. I'm like, yeah, because you found what worked for you. And that's the advice I offer across fitness in general is experiment and taste different training methodologies, experiment and taste, pardon the pun, different diets and see what works best for you, what's in alignment with your goals. And in fitness, that message I found can get lost because people are hammering home. This is the only way to do something um, when I personally just don't believe that's true. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think it's the same with even if you talk about um, something as specific as learning a handstand, like there's a load of different um, ways that you could potentially enhance them. They all involve you being on with your hands on the floor and being upside down, but there's different, there's not like these magic bullets of uh, certain exercises to do. You know, we, we had a couple of questions just when we were in Marbella recently where someone wanted to know like, what's the one um, exercise he needs, needs to do to increase ankle dorsiflexion? It's like, well, there's not one magic bullet. Um, and just, is there, is there anything though that, that, you know, you, that the, um, the sort of Q and A's that you do, um, on Instagram all the time, you, you get an, you, you said you don't sort of consume an awful lot of content, but you'll get it. You're answering lots and lots and lots and lots of questions. Um, the assumption or our assumption is that you must, there must be some quite regular ones that come up quite commonly that you, that you get and are there any of those that you just like that pull on your heartstrings be like ah like i hate it when somebody like tries to make a healthy decision with their food but they're just misinformed so they grab the you know the muller light yogurt that okay it might be lower calorie but what else is it you know there's there's different options that different options are any are there any things like that that spring to mind yeah the one that jumps to mind straight away and i've been asked this question Oh, thousands of times over the years and what's the and it's what's the fastest ways fastest way to lose fat or what's the fastest way to lose weight um, and I always give the same answer like the, the, the fastest way to lose weight is to eat no food and to train seven or eight or nine hours a day I'm like that's the fastest way I'm like it's not the most sustainable it's not healthy and it probably won't work but if you're looking for the fastest way that's what you do but then I get people to challenge. I'm like, well, how about you change the word fastest, fastest, fastest for most efficient? I'm like, what's the most efficient way to lose weight? What's the most efficient way to lose body fat? And that's getting into a slight calorie deficit, gradually increasing your training or whatever that is so that you're burning more calories throughout the day. I have personal preferences then. I like some form of resistance training mixed in with some heart, work, heart rate work or aerobic work um, and then keeping nutrient-dense foods to keep energy levels high. That's a personal preference but the that question comes in so often and it, it's a question that always kind of pulls at my heartstrings because it's the way we're conditioned to think and what's the fastest way to do something like there's there's always like a massive red flag like what's the fastest way to get a handstand what's the fastest way to lose fat what's the fastest way to build muscle what's the fastest way to earn a million pound what's the fastest way to you know I get a loving relationship. It's like, it's not the right way to ask the question. It's like, what's the most effective? What's the most efficient way to do those things? Because then it's a completely different answer. You know, the answer to what's the fastest way to lose body fat is completely different to what's the most efficient or the most effective way to lose body fat. Um, so that's one that jumps to mind straight away that comes in very regularly. 
Yeah, there's a great thing that I saw Gary Vaynerchuk um, talk about once. And he's like, he says like building a sustainable, lasting business is like it's it's like a marriage. You can get you can get some some quick wins, and he compares a marriage to a one night stand. It's like you can get to the end point you can get what you might want but it's not going to go anywhere and actually like the investment in time to actually go through a process um and actually build something of some value it, it, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, it's not about the fastest route from a to b it's actually about going through the process putting in the work and i think it goes back to your point before of going you, you've got to get in the game and you've got to you've got to do what's required um but you're right in terms of i think it's such we try to do the same thing when someone says what's the fastest way to get strong because they see them under a muscle up they can't do it and we're like do you know what like getting strong can take some time if you're starting as a beginner and you've got to try and focus on the process rather than the end point and, and understand that if you if you put all of that value of that process on being i'm not gonna be happy till i can do a muscle up or, or a handstand if you're starting from zero a handstand could be a two-year process for some people um that's a long time to be just, just clinging on to coattails of like i'll only be happy when i can do a handstand it's it's a tough place to get into but it's great that there's a few of us trying to sort of persuade people down the route of going think about the bigger picture because it's not just about this one outcome yeah and that's it's where there's there's such a rush these days to you know the fastest way to do anything and i think there'll definitely be people and we'll all fall into that trap at times there might be things we're trying to learn or do and you want it to you want it to happen faster um because it's frustrating sometimes the, the the journey and i'm sure there'll be uh, my question now is going to actually be to just people listening really and just throw any thoughts in there that if you're sat there thinking well, actually i'm trying to learn the fastest way to do x y or z that you need to ask yourself the question like why why are you in a rush why do you want it to go fast because if it goes fast and it comes easy what's the sense of achievement and the reward like compared to actually something that takes a long time a lot of effort a lot of frustration the the sense of achievement and the reward afterwards is far 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 richer yeah it takes longer but you're going to have something more um more valuable at the end of it um it just reminds me of uh, we had a conversation with guys at the circus um the, the national circus one of the the uh, he was director of training there and he was talking about rather than doing something like learning a certain skill really streamlined and really fast with no variety to it, gave them a skill they could only perform in like one like one very specific way. And if they had to get do it in a show where things were slightly different, even just the floor was different or the wall was, a, they, they just couldn't do it. And actually just, they taught someone, he, he gave an example of where he taught someone how to do like a run up the wall backflip for a show. But when it came to doing it in the actual show, he couldn't do it because the wall was different or, you know, just something very simple like that. Yeah, it's so interesting that, that's a great point like uh, to be able to understand that it needs to apply in lots of different situations that's so applicable for you and what you do but one of the things I was told before that jumped to mind just as you both were speaking one of my mentors told me years ago that the the fast way is really the slow way and the slow way is really the fast way and I didn't understand it at the time. And of course, fucking good mentors make you reach for shit. They never tell you the answer. And it wasn't until like a few months later where I'm like, ah, oh, I get it now. And what he meant was, and it wasn't until I was working with a client, I was working with an overweight girl back when I used to do one-to-one -one personal training. And this is when it clicked. I was like, oh, that's what he meant. I was working with a girl and she was telling me about all these juice and bar diets she had done to lose weight. You know, we've all heard of them, different very versions of 500 calorie juices for six, eight weeks and you lose a load of dress sizes and then you do metabolic damage and you rebound back worse than when you started. But she was telling me that she'd been, you know, she was 31 
she's like, yeah, I've been dieting since I was 19. I'm, so she's been dieting most of her adult life. And she was like, yeah, it's worked. She was like, um, the juice diets, the bar diets worked. But I was like, but they haven't. I was like, you're here with me now and you're still four stone overweight. I was like, so they haven't worked. You know, I, I was kind of like, I, I didn't say it as, as abrasively as that, but that was my point. Yeah. I was like, but they're not working. She was like, no, 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 but they worked. And then they stopped working and I, I ended up worse than when I started. And then a penny dropped because my whole philosophy was we'll do something sustainable. She was like, I want to lose, drop three stone, four stone in the next three or four weeks. It was something ridiculous. And I was like, okay, we're going to drop you into a calorie deficit. We're going to gradually increase your training and we're going to get everything right and find a nutritional plan that's sustainable for you. And she was like, well, how long will that take? And I was like, for you, I was like, because she was quite overweight and obese to start with. I was like, probably about three or four months. And she was like, Three or four months. She was like, but the juices and the bear diets work in a few weeks. And I'm like, yeah, but you're here with me now. I'm like, you've had the same <laughs> problem for the last 10 years. I was like, and then it dawned, it dropped on me. The penny dropped. I was like, that's what my mentor meant. Because the fast way is the slow way. And the slow way is the fast way. Because when you get the right, do it the right process and get the right plans in place from the foundation in the beginning, you end up setting yourself up for future success. Um, I've used something then with her for anyone that's ever been in a very version of that where they're like, oh, that's going to take so long. I'm like, well, the time is going to pass anyways. Like that's literally every time I ever think about, you know, oh, it's going to take so long to do this with my business or take so long to do this with the book or take so long to do this in a relationship. I'm like, well, the time is going to pass anyways. You may as well do it doing the right things. Um, but yeah, just as you said that, that jumped to mind. I'm like, yeah, it took me months before I got that and it wasn't until that situation. But uh, it's so interesting, you know, because it shows up in so many different ways and, and it's completely relative to the situation. Brian, are you sort of like an advocate of and have you been in the past and can, do you continue to do it of experimentation with your own sort of nutrition training? Because I know from my perspective, particularly around my nutrition, my ability to flex around my lifestyle now and my training and what I'm doing has all come from a place of trying lots of different things and then working out, well, these are now all tools that I've got, I've got access to, but, and I've got a baseline. This is my sort of day-to-day -day stuff, but if I need to flex it, I know what to do. Is that something you've sort of experienced yourself and do you encourage clients to do that sort of thing as well? Um, okay, so there's two different answers there. Because for me personally, I do that where I experiment with lots of different things, but that's more down to like, I have really bad training ADHD. Like if I do the same training program, I get like really shiny object and go, oh, I need to change it. So I could do a full month or a full week of body weight work. I could do another full phase of bodybuilding training. I could do another full phase of CrossFit. You know, I'm training for Ironman at the minute. You know, I ran, I run ultra marathons, so I'll do a lot of running. So I'm experimenting more so I don't get bored with my training. In terms of the nutrition, with me personally, which is quite separate to what I do with people I work with, I experiment with different nutrition based on what I'm trying to achieve. So I know because of my background in sports nutrition, both of you guys know this from, from nutrition as well, like depending on what I'm trying to achieve at the time, I'm going to experiment. So when I used to compete in bodybuilding, I used to do a lot of carb cycling because I'm like, well, I'm trying to change body composition. You know, I want to load up glycogen stores for my hardest workouts. I want to, you know, keep myself quite insulin sensitive. I want to make sure that my body's utilizing fat, etc. But then when I started doing ultra endurance events like ultra marathons, I'm like, right, I'm not going to, you know, in the Sahara or in the Arctic, I'm like, I'm not going to have all that food. I was like, I need to be able to run off the fat stores on my body. So I made myself more fat adapted and took that kind of keto fat adapted based diet. So based on how I'm training or what I'm training for, I experiment with different diets. So I've done them all. You know, I've done vegan. I've played around with vegan. I've played around with keto. That's why I, I think I'm not 
so attached to any of them because I'm like, they all work. I'm like, they all have a purpose. You know, they all work for different people and for different reasons. With clients then, my number one rule that I use with everyone I work with and anyone that ever asks for my advice, I'm like, is what you're doing helping you hit the end goal? And I think that's applicable for everything, single thing you do in your life. But with your training and your nutrition, it makes it very, very kind of black and white. I'm like, okay, is eating this way helping you get stronger? Is it helping you get leaner? Is it helping you build muscle? If the answer is no, then you need to go back to the drawing board and change something. And the training is the same. You know, there's an, there's an argument for enjoying what you're doing, but also there's certain training styles that are going to be more beneficial for strength, i.e. calisthenics. There's going to be certain training styles that are better for overall fitness, i.e. CrossFit metabolic conditioning workouts, you know, they may be slightly better, but then it comes back down to sustainability. What do you enjoy the most? So there's so many factors and finding what works best is always going to be key. So I personally play around with it and experiment, but I generally tell people I work with, I'm like, that's why I do the plans. I do the nutrition. I do the training because I'm like, well, I know this is going to help you get to a, B, or C, whatever your goal is. So what I do and what I offer, the advice I offer is normally slightly different um, just because I know my personality type versus what my clients are trying to achieve. Just within that, how do you help people to filter the noise? Because we're exposed to it consistently through social. There's lots of different people with, with access to, to communicate whatever they, they choose to in different formats. And like you say, you, you get the hard the diehards that are stuck in, in one sort of lane and they can't see anything else. How do you find with, from a client perspective, if people are sort of just being potentially subconsciously influenced, how do you get them to sort of stick to, to the process and, and filter that? everything else is going on I give them three people they can follow like that's literally what I do when they come at me when I get the people who are like drowned in the noise I'm like cool you get three people and it's normally like you know I'm like right go you can follow the school of calisthenics you can follow Ross Edgy I was like they're freebies I was like there's a couple of people who are freebies I was like but anybody that's like hardcore on something I'm like you get three I was like you get to follow three people and that that just helps because what can happen and I know myself I apply the exact same thing when I'm trying to learn something new because I don't have, when you don't have enough of a strong enough reference point, you don't know what's good information and what's bad information. So the example I use is like when I'm trying to figure out more stuff on, you know, real estate investment, I follow two or three people because I don't know what's good advice and what's bad advice. I don't have enough context. So I need to guard against all that extra noise. I'm like, oh, well, so-and-so said this, but Robert Kiyosaki said that. And that allows me to drown that out. And people have the exact same thing with fitness. So when they're coming back and they're like, there's so much information, I don't know what's right. I'm like, okay, follow three people. I was like, that's all you get. You know, you can consume everything they have, podcasts, YouTube, Instagram, but but three people. I was like, that's it. Because otherwise people get confused. And to be honest, as a personal trainer and as someone that works in fitness, you're better off doing a crap program 100% than doing the best program ever at 40%. Like, and that's so bad to admit as a trainer, but it's true. And that's what happens with people is they might be on an amazing program, an amazing nutritional plan, but they're only in at 40% because they're hearing all this different noise coming from different places. It's like commit to one thing, give it your all, trust in the people you're working with and then follow what they're telling you. Yeah, I think it's good advice because I I do it a little bit myself with, um, I don't consume huge amounts of other bits of, of content, but I do like um, Gary V and uh, Seth Godin for sort of business stuff. And if you can find a couple of people, two or three people that you 
believe that you can trust what they say, when they start, you don't have to believe everything they say, but when two or three people that you've said, oh, yeah, I trust what they say, if they all say the same thing, then you're like, well, that's probably something we need to do. Yeah, um, it's great advice. Yeah. yeah. Um, so but it is so difficult to just to not just get consumed by, like you say, all the noise or whatever. Well, I think social is just geared up for us. It's so easy just to follow somebody. Oh, they do calisthenics, I'm going to follow them. Or they talk about nutrition, I'm going to follow them. And all of a sudden, you've got 2,000 people that are talking to you. Um, so I think that, that my takeaway from that is great advice, really good in terms of next time, or look at your followers list and sort of who is not, who is sort of, potentially needs to, to be called. Don't follow us or, um, or Brian. Yeah. That's not yeah. Brian Keane Fitness or, or School of Calisthenics. Um, I tell then people don't you... follow me all the time though, just to, just to give context. There, yeah. I, I tell, like, I'm literally like, if I'm not, I'm like, I'm on Instagram, particularly Instagram. I'm like, I'm on Instagram to try and provide value to you. If I'm not providing you value in any way, shape or form, I'm like, feel free to unfollow. I'm like, I, I it's not, I don't want to put out content that's not helping. You know, I'm like, and he, I would find it hypocritical for me to be like, Gerd, who you're following, and then be like, well, follow me, though. <laughs> um, where yeah. in the case of, I'm like, you know, if I'm not helping and serving you either, by all means, unfollow me, too. But but if you're applying that to me, apply that to everybody, you know, all the 2,000 people that you're following. Yeah, I, I once heard it was a guy called Tommy Yule, who's a, he works for British Athletics now, was previous performance director at, at British Weightlifting, really, really good guy, he, uh, former Commonwealth Olympic lifter himself, and I was having a conversation with him um, one day, and he, he was talking about an athlete, and he was, he was sort of using an analogy and said, it's within a sports performance and, and context, but said, training an athlete is like trying to push an apple cart up a hill. It only ever works when the, apple, when the athlete gets off the apple cart and starts pushing themselves. And he says, sometimes you get these people that are looking around going, oh, look at that apple cart. I'm going to go and sit on that one for a while. Um, but I think like you say, like, I think going back to the point about adhering to a program, so many people just need consistency and it's not sexy sometimes. It goes back to when you've been with athletes or you train people for a period of time, there's, there's blocks of work, which the, you look at the guy and you go do you know what you hate in this like you don't like our winter block because it's just fairly mundane we try and spice it up as coaches and stuff but ultimately you've just got to put work in and if we look at exceeding sort of a high levels of human performance then we can draw from what we do from a sports performance and athlete perspective because that's their job and what can we learn from that well sometimes you've just got to get off the apple cart and push and if you commit to a program rather than jumping around over loads of different stuff you're going to get way better traction even if it's not the best program in the world the best program in the world like you say is the one you can adhere to yeah the one you can adhere to is the one that you enjoy and the one that's giving you sort of results and whatever is working towards your goals and not breaking you yeah and then that's going to be the one that keeps you motivated and then and keeps you on task um, and keeps you consistent, like you say. And if those are provided by knowledgeable people, then you, if you can do those two things, seek out good people and then stick to the process, you're actually probably going to do pretty well, yeah. whoever that might be. Yeah. That's the secret. That's literally the silver bullet. That like, you know, the, the most unsexy silver bullet ever. It's like, find good people, be consistent. <laughs> yeah. So, Brian, moving on towards um, what we like to call the redefine your impossible feature. Um, it's I literally just stole that line from me just to give you context <laughs> I'm like I literally have in the section of the, the, the book is going off the publisher and I've got redefine your impossible I'm like I stole that directly from the lads <laughs> the lawyers will be in touch um, yeah, just, <laughs> I'm like getting a copyright with their school yeah. and excited I mean, after I'm just, I'm just well, Harvey make sure we leave this in the edit the, the, uh, we do have a trademark on redefine your impossible by the way <laughs> 
but we like you, so you can use yeah, it. We, we, we as see long these as you things, hug me next time. We see, see these things popping up on Instagram, other people using it, and we're like, we have to. We, we, we humble ourselves and say that um, imitation is the highest form, highest form of compliment. So we're uh, <laughs> we'll yeah, just take yeah, that one. But a legend like, such I, as yourself. In fairness, every time I use it, I'm like directly from the lads. I'm like, I stole that directly <laughs> from you. <laughs> I like how you call us the lads as well. I feel like I, I feel like I want to start like a hashtag like Carl Stone's lads. Oh, lads. <laughs> but yeah, redefining impossible is what the, this whole thing is our, our strap line and what it all started started with, or one of the, one of the things that started with of us of trying to do something that seems impossible and then and then working hard to achieve it. And you know, Tim mentioned before at the start about your uh, trek to the to the Arctic. Um, Tell us a little bit about what drives you to take on some of these challenges uh, that you've been doing and, and, and how you've found them. Did they ever feel impossible? Because you, you, did, you did Marathon Disciples as well, didn't you? I guess when you sign up to these things, you're not thinking there's no way I can do this because otherwise you wouldn't sign up for it. It's like when I always say to people when they're, they go, oh, it feels impossible. I'm like, but you've started the process. So you don't actually think it's impossible. You've already made that mental step forward, but you're just, I think sometimes people say that type just to protect themselves a little bit to go like, oh, well, if I just say it's impossible and feel it's a bit impossible, then if I don't actually achieve it, well, then it was just because it was too hard. So mm. it's a protective mechanism probably. Um, but yeah, no, for you, yeah. T- t- tell us a little bit about some of what those challenges have been like and, um, and why I'm interested to know why, did you want to do such extreme things? Um, so there were both two very different reasons. The Marathon de Saab last year the, in April 2018, that was when I think Redefine Your Impossible, that's the one I think of because I, for anyone that's unfamiliar with me or how I look, like I'm not built to run ultra marathons. Uh, Marathon de Saab is six back-to-back marathons over six, con- six consecutive days in the Sahara Desert. Um, and I have a sport background. I played yeah, you know sport all my life. Like a kind of a rugby build, five foot eight, you know, um, like stocky, like not built to run ultra marathons really. But when I saw, I heard about this race and it was the first time in a while, particularly something physical, where I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. You know, it's what you said. It was like, you, you didn't think it was impossible, but you also weren't sure if it was achievable. Um, so I kind of signed up for it. And, you know, because I was like my social media, I'm always preaching, you know, you know, make yourself uncomfortable, push outside your limits. I'm like, well, I'm going to be a massive hypocrite if I don't do that myself. So I signed up to Marathon to Saab. And when I finished that race, to be honest, the Arctic was very different because when I was running Marathon to Saab, I didn't know until I crossed the finish line if I was going to be able to finish it because I'd never, like I, I ran my first marathon a few months before to prepare for Marathon to Saab. So Marathon to Saab was the first ever marathon I signed up for. You know, I'd never ran more than 10K. And I, <laughs> until I got to the finish line, I was like, okay, right, we did this. Where the Arctic was different. The Arctic was, I knew I was going to get to the finish line provided nothing physical went wrong and something physical did wrong. I tore my Achilles 86 kilometers from the end. But it was a case of pushing kind of through on that. Now it's, yeah, like the lads are like shaking their head going, no, but it, that, 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 in any other circumstance, I need to just um, disclaimer here because when I tell people, they're like, oh yeah, push through. I'm like, my Achilles tore 86 kilometers from the end. I'm like, I was in the Arctic. So it's minus 38 degrees. It's fucking freezing. 
Yes, it hurts like crazy when you tear your Achilles, but it's not like you're running outside in a, you know, the London Marathon or the Dublin Marathon. I'm like, if you tear your Achilles running the London Marathon, she's like, yeah, pull out, you know, don't don't run through it. Um, just to give a disclaimer, because like people are like, oh, you know, that was silly or whatever. But the and reason presumably I you were able to ice is, it fairly regularly. What's that? Presumably you were able to ice it fairly regularly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was, as, as so happens. Um, but the thing is with these events, what I love about them is kind of what we said earlier. When I talk about how much I love my life now, it was down to the fact of not having loved what I did and not being super fulfilled earlier in life. And I have that contrast point. And I I do a lot of talks on, say, mental health and things along those lines. When I say mental health, people are like, yeah, you're fucking crazy. You run through the Arctic. But when I think mental health, it's, you know, environmental depression, anxiety, all these things that I suffered from. I don't suffer from any of those now because pushing myself to a physical limit in an environment that really taxes me makes me super grateful for really basic things where I would be constantly in my own head, you know, self-imposed prisons when I think of anxiety and just that, that was such a huge part of my early twenties where I just couldn't get out of my head, you know, your own biggest enemy living between your two ears and doing these events where I'm so physically and mentally drained and it's taking everything from me, makes me feel so much happier. Like, you just don't need... Like, you come back... For me, anyway, like, my daughter just turned four last weekend. And, like, you come back from the Sahara or the Arctic and you're just like, oh, my God, I get to play with my daughter for the weekend. And that is literally the single best thing you could do. For me, the single best thing I could do in my life. Like, that weekend when I got back, I'll never forget that. Like, that contrast of being so physically sore, the suffering, all of those things from doing things like Marathon de Saab, running through the Arctic, makes everything else in my life seem better. Like, when I was in Marathon de Saab, I spoke about, um, uh, on my podcast, on day two, when there was a sandstorm at nighttime, and it blew away all the tents, and it blew away all the fucking gear, everything. And my tent mate beside me, there's like these massive um, nails, that I don't know nails the right word, these max, massive hooks to keep the tent down, but the sandstorm took that and it sliced through my tent mate's hand. And I remember being like, oh my God, wrapped up in my tent. I'm like, if I get hit in the head with one of these things, I'm dead. Like, I'm like, I'm dead. I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to live anymore. And... I remember for the first month when I got home, I'd hear a wind or a storm outside and I'm like, oh my God, four walls and a roof. Like something that I'd gone through 30 years before, (laughs) never questioning because you just assume, I'm like, oh my God, four walls and a roof. This is amazing. And things like that that you just don't expect to get, they they transfer over. Um, So even though they seem extreme, they're something that make my overall life better. They're a small percentage of something I do in the year that makes the other 99.9% of my life amazing. Um, so that's really why I try and do them and redefine that impossible. So what was the Arctic, Brian? How far was the, um, the run that you did in total? Uh, so 230 kilometers over five days. Um, oh, it was brutal. Um, like the Arctic... Oh, the, the Arctic made the Sahara look like a playground. Um, like the Arctic was just so hard because there's so many things that can go wrong in the Arctic. You know, there's obviously the risk of hyperthermia. There's the risk of frostbite. Like I still can't feel my big toe on my right foot. The feeling still hasn't came back from that. Um, the physical injury, which is something I didn't expect when I was going out there because obviously the ice, I was like, you fall on the ice and part of the ice 
aren't as hard as other parts. So you can fall straight through. Um, like it dropped to minus 38 degrees, which uh, is the coldest obviously I've ever been in. You know, like um, like I'm in the west of Ireland and I had lived in London, so there was a little bit of, of snow in London, but like I'd never seen it up to like past my shin. And like you just had snow everywhere. Um, but it was 230 kilometers over that five-day period. Um, and it was so difficult because you don't actually have that much daylight in the Arctic either. Like, it's bright at nine o'clock and then it's black, pitch black by 4.30 p.m. So the longer days were long. And when my Achilles tore, like, because it, it was gradually getting bad. I, I could feel it. I was like, there's a lot of pain here, you know, and th- there's medics there and then there's the indigenous Sami tribe that are there. And one of the medics looked at it and she was like, yeah, your, your Achilles is torn. Um, she was like, it might rupture. You need to look after this, you know. Now, the crowd that run the event, Beyond the Ultimate, amazing. Because you're connected up. They've got um, kind of a GPS hooked up to you. So if anything did go wrong, you'd, you'd hopefully th- think you'd be okay. But I was so tunnel visioned at that stage, even when it went... I was like, just give me some fucking painkillers. I was like, I'm just going to fin. I'm like, I'm going through this. Like, I'm I'm committed to this now, um, which I'm grateful for now. Looking back, I'm like, you fucking idiot. You should have just like not done it, but because there was so many things that could have gone wrong. But it was it was. I'm so happy that I did and went through it and finished it. And I reaped it out the other side. You know, I've been in agony for like three months <laughs> since I've got back. Yeah. Um, but like, so how is it now? Like, uh, I did my first run. So this is about three months ago, over three months ago now. I did my first 5K run on Monday. So today's Wednesday on Monday. So uh, I, it's been a write-off for, for running. For anything that's like plyometric or running, um, even biking was, was sore for the first month and a half. Um, but now, again, pain goes away. Like pain's temporary. You both know this. You know, playing sports, strength and conditioning background. Pain goes away. It's temporary. Like, and I, I had to remind myself of that running through the Arctic. I'm like, as sore as it was, and it was, it was the most pain I've ever been in my life. Like I've never had a a painful experience like it where it was just throbbing. Like my spine was throbbing from my Achilles and I, but I had to just keep reminding myself, this will go away. I was like, this pain will go away. I was like, at some stage I'm going to be back home in the West of Ireland in front of a fire with food in my stomach watching Game of Thrones that had a shit fucking season ending but watching whatever it is on TV or watching Arsenal play or doing something but you have and but I had to remind myself of that because I'm like at some stage this pain will go away because it's so easy when you're feeling physical pain or emotional pain or mental pain I think it translates across all areas to get confused and think this is going to last forever but it's not going to last forever it's going to pass you know and I had to remind myself of that constantly but then it, you come back and that message has been reinforced I feel like you do with any any emotional or mental trauma now you know the worst things happening you know that I'd hate to think of something happened to my daughter or my mum I'm like I think I'm in a mentally tough enough place you know Jordan Peterson says if you really want to aim for a target it's like be the strongest person at your father or your mother's funeral I'm like oh that fucking think about that like and putting myself through these physical challenges and that relationship with pain makes you realize that even if the worst thing happens, yeah, it's going to suck and probably feel like your entire world's been wiped from beneath you. You know, and I, you see this when people get a divorce or their business crumbles and it feels like your entire life has been collapsed from underneath you, but it passes. 
pain passes, trouble passes. And again, three months later after the event, I'm like, I'm telling you now, I'm like, that pain is slightly less than it was yesterday. And it'll be slightly less tomorrow. And it'll be even better in three months. And it'll be even better in a year. And then before I know it, it'll only be a distant memory of a time when I tore my Achilles in the, in the Arctic. Um, and I think that thought process helps me. It's the reason I share it is because it might resonate with people in other ways. You don't have to run through the Arctic to get that. But understanding that pain passes. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever bad experience or struggle you're going through, that'll pass. Yeah. Amazing. So what is the, uh, what's the, the, the next one? You mentioned you're training for an Ironman. You, you sort of, you did, um, is this, is this a 2019 or 2020 focus? Obviously you've got a bit of rehab and, and stuff to push on before you go and do an Ironman, but what's the, what's the landscape look like for the next, um, 12 months in terms of the mental and mindset development of, of Brian Keane? Well, Ironman's definitely next on the list. Um, as of now, I'm signed up for Ironman France in the end of August. I don't know if I'm going to make that yet because the run is still a problem. Swimming fine and biking, you know, is, is even decent. Now, I've also never done a triathlon, but I need to, so I need to like build up my swimming and open water swimming. <laughs> Where is but, it? Uh, in in Vichy, in the, just beside Paris in France. So that's in August. So I know you boys are over in August as well. So I'm like, oh, make sure that doesn't overlap, you know, so I'm not gone. But at some stage, Iron Man is definitely the next thing to do. I'm like, ah, oh. I'm like, well, I'm probably not going to die doing Iron Man. I'm like, that's probably achievable in the next few months. Um, so that's kind of my thought process. Outside of that, then there's a few things on my radar, but nothing set. You know, as I was saying to you guys before I went, we went on air, the new book coming out before the end of the year determines a lot of my training schedule because touring and events and and all the things you have to do, I just can't personally prioritize the time to train when I need to do appearances and a lot of different things so when I get the date on the tours and everything for that I'll decide what I'm doing around that because I just I've tried both in the past and I wasn't able um it just didn't work so that will determine a lot on what I do but there'll definitely be something you know in 2020 like I need to do something to just get out of my comfort zone so uh yeah stay tuned (laughs) Do you um do you sort of recommend that other people with clients and stuff that you've worked with in the past and people in your sort of network and community that they your your approach to putting yourself outside your comfort zone seems to be sign up having being being completely unprepared at that point not like building up to doing an Ironman you've never done a triathlon same with like the distances that you did before with the ultras um, do you sort of recommend that people just bite the bullet sign up and then sort of like solve the problem and work it out from there onwards. I think it's so relative. Like when I say, when I sign up for the Arctic or the Sahara or Ironman, that's somebody else's equivalent of joining a gym for the first time or coming to one of your beginner courses for a first time or going for their first, you know, jog or 5K run. Like it's so relative what people do to push out of their comfort zone. Now I'm a massive advocate of doing things that make yourself uncomfortable and pushing outside of your comfort zone. I'm a big fan of that. I know you boys are as well. But that's relative to each person. Like, I'm not telling people to go out and sign up for an ultramarathon or sign up for an Ironman. But do challenge yourself. Like, the more I understand myself and people I work with and just how how psychology works in general. Like, you know, when you set a goal, you know, there's a lot of psychological processes going on. Things like tuned perception, where your brain starts to focus on the things that are going to support you hit that end goal. You know, your reticular activation system, the part of your brain that's like your internal GPS and will... the, the analogy I normally use 
is when you walk into a room and somebody else has the same t-shirt as you or somebody else has the same uh, pair of shoes as you and there might be 50 people in the room or 100 people in the room and you notice the t-shirt or you notice the hat or you notice the shoes. I'm like, whoa, why did that happen? I was like, that's your tuned perception. That's the psychological reticular activation system. It's tuning in on the things that you recognize already. I'm like, you can hack that by setting a goal. I was like, set a goal and then start to see all the things come out that are going to support you. You know, there's an old quote by Buddha that when the teacher is ready, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And that's literally the psychological reverse engineer of set the goal and you'll start to see the coaches who can help you. You'll start to see the Instagram profiles on people that can support you. You'll start to see all these things that you didn't see before. You know, it's the red shoes or the Nike shoes in the room. Like you see it because you have them in your wardrobe at home. But you can hack that for setting a goal. But that's relative. That goal is completely relative. It might be dropping dress sizes. It might be building up to a handstand. It might be building a little bit of muscle or getting faster for your sport. That's relative. But set the goal and then start to see all the things appear that are going to help move you to that goal. Yeah, me and Tim pretty much will have a school uniform that's same top, same shorts, same <laughs> shoes. <laughs> Always notice it as well. <laughs> I've got um, just one... Um, one piece of uh, Iron Man advice is the um, in, is it relatively flat that one in Paris? Or no idea. Not. I haven't looked at uh, it at okay. all yet. I, I yeah, I haven't looked. At it. <laughs> I like uh, it. I like the pro. Yeah, well, I was like, but, but, I like, I like yeah. croissants, so I might as well go and do yeah. it in France. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, Paris. I was like, Paris isn't that far. I was like, I can get to Paris. So I was like, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. fine. Well, my, my my only experience of an Iron Man is watching and supporting my sister do Snowden Ironman, which involves oh, cycling a, around that's Snowdonia. That's like one of the hardest ones. And you run up, yeah, you run up Snowden and back. You, know, you reach the top, you haven't even finished. You still got to come back down. Um, yeah. and, How did she find uh, that? That's, that one's on my radar too. How did she get on with it? Yes. Uh, tough. Do we know, it is it more than once up Snowden, is it? Or not? Just is it what? Is it more than once up Snowden or the run? Or do you, do you peak yourself no, once? You, you go they, up Snowden, they do a double. Okay. So they do a double Iron Man for that as well. well yeah. So we went there, right? And I was like, what? what? So there's people with the blue wristbands on. I was like, what are the, what are the red ones? And I've seen a few guys with like a, a pink one or whatever it was. They have different colours for different things or the hats when they were swimming. And it's like, oh, well, these lot are doing a half Iron Man. Like, well, that's sensible because it's half of what my sister's doing. And my sister's, uh, she's actually uh, a world champion. Uh, Whitewater Afton she's she's a bit of a beast um, fucking badass and, that, and she's yeah. finding this hard but um, then there's people doing double Ironmans but then there's also someone doing triple Ironmans and like my my sister came breezed the well, relatively breezed the swim she came out of the swim smiling laughing and we jogged with her towards the bike and we were chatting to her again I was yeah she's doing fine we had to do she had to do four laps of Snowdonia that were 30 miles each and we did one training lap with her um, a few months before and we tried to do a little run after doing one of these laps and I couldn't run everything was just cramping up I literally physically wanted to but I couldn't run after doing one of these laps so she's on like lap two and uh, and she's starting to worry that, that, that they had a cut off of time and the last thing she wanted to happen was like just get told that she had to stop because she trained so much for it um but look at the letter go through but she was she she found the bike was brutal and then by the time you got off the bike it was just like try to try to somehow get up Snowden and back. But um, there was a guy, she finished her bike in like, I can't remember what the swim was. The swim was maybe like an hour and then she was about flipping 
stupid, I don't know, six hours on the bike or something, and there was a dude still swimming. He was doing the triple <laughs> Ironman, so he had to do like, he was still swimming. I was just like, for him, fair play to him. I hate to, he's probably still, he's probably still, <laughs> so for the triple, he's like up and down snowing like, three times, he's probably still doing it. Brian's switched off now. I've just seen him. He's just signed up. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, 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 yeah. As, as Jack was talking, I'm like, oh, there we go, intro. Yeah. Just Google. Sign me up for If August comes around too quick in Paris, you get yourself... If you cut, I promise, here we go. If you do the Snowden one, I'll come and give you my expertise support. Well, there we go. How do I say no to that? I'm like, I'm like I'll hug you in between. I've no idea what it is. I'll hug you on the swim, hug you on the bike, hug you on the road. Yeah, yeah no, you Maybe I'll do it with you. That'd be more awkward than the swim, that. You know? <laughs> I'm going to hug every time. Um, the last question uh, we like to ask guests is uh, back to that redefining your impossible theme of what's what's your impossible? Is there a is there an impossible? Is there something that actually you talked a lot about going out of your comfort zone? Is there anything that you sort of you fancy, but just you know at the moment just feels like oh, that it actually is just just too far? Um, no. <laughs> like for the yeah like a really weird thing happened when I got back from the Sahara because I had a lot of areas in my life that I'm like yeah that that could definitely do with improving and like don't get me wrong there's loads of areas in my life I could still do with improving but there th- uh, there was a glass ceiling that I didn't consciously or I was wasn't consciously aware of before I went to the Sahara and when I came back from the Sahara it felt like that glass ceiling was broken. And I felt like all the limitations that I created in every single area of my life had been just shattered. I'm like, okay, you didn't... Because that was the closest thing to impossible. That Because I did my first run in August of 2017 and I nearly got sick. It was a two-kilometer run and I nearly got sick. And I was like, oh my God, I have another 248 kilometers to go. I was like, <laughs> how the fuck am I going to do this? In You know, it was six in seven... It would have been eight months at the time. Um, But again, you know, I broke it down. I was like, I went from doing two kilometers to three kilometers to four kilometers to five to 10 to 20. And I built it up that way. You know, I just broke, chunked it down. I remember thinking that, well, there's no point worrying about six marathons if I can't do one. I was like, so I need to build up to one first and then worry about consecutive days. And because that goal at the time felt so big, because I'd never ran, I had no background in that, I had nothing in that space. The first time I'd ever heard of an ultramarathon like I'd heard it in passing, but I didn't really know what it was, was was in April of that year when someone told me about Marathon to Saab. I just wasn't in that space. You know, I knew nothing about the endurance world. And it, as I said, I didn't know until I crossed the finish line if I was going to be able to do it. But when I finished it, it made me question everything in all areas of my life. You know, romantic life, family life, business life, physical life. I was like, nothing's impossible if you decide that you're going to set that goal you might have to adjust the time frame you know and you might have to put in different work for it but nothing is impossible and I'm also a believer that you can have anything you want you just can't have everything you want you know it's like some things will come at a cost you know it's very very difficult to as I said to prioritizing the book launch with training for an event so I'm like okay we'll do one and then do the other you know and I and I think if you go through life like that you can do it all you just might not be able to do it all in parallel you might not be able to do it all at the same time but you can do it all um, and if you you know live life long enough and I don't plan to die anytime soon provided nothing bad happens like you have time you know potentially another 60 years to do all the things you want to do and that philosophy and thought process grounds me 
and makes me think that nothing's impossible because I'm like, you know, I don't need to do this in the next year or five years. I can do it in the next 10 or 15 or 20. And so that's like such a shitty answer for like, you no, know, it's, it's great. But that's, that's, no, I was gonna th- say, that's the truth, you know? Yeah, the best answer is the truthful answer. And what a beautiful way to finish uh, the podcast with that quote, to, to quote you there. I think it's an Adidas quote potentially, is it? Nothing is impossible. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I stole that from them too. I, think, like, yeah. they don't get, but I don't give them props. So like every time I yeah, yeah, yeah. give you props, Adidas don't get the props. Thank <laughs> you, Adidas. Yeah. <laughs> but what, yeah, no, it's, it's, a, no it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful ending to it. Okay, so Brian, thank you so much for uh, being a guest on the Scorecast and its podcast. I'm sure everyone uh, enjoyed it immensely. Hopefully, enjoyed it as much as as much as we did. Sorry, we did. We have to do maybe like a virtual hug rather than like an, yeah, yeah. an actual we, we can do virtual real hug. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you did enjoy the podcast, then uh, Brian would love it if you would go and give us a, 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 an amazing review on iTunes or wherever else that you um, do listen to or consume the podcast. And um, Brian, where if people want to check a little bit more uh, about you, where can they find you? Instagram your podcast website uh, yep uh, Brian Keen podcast uh, and go check out your episode on that I freaking love that episode um, <laughs> and Instagram Brian underscore Keen underscore fitness um, they're my two major platforms great we'll put those in the show notes so people can just uh, click them and find them straight away so that brings us to the end of this week's podcast and there is nothing else for us to say apart from until next time class dismissed <laughs> Thank you.